Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jürgen Abo, and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. All right, we're here with someone who describes himself as the professional technical business people person. So what does that mean? Well, he focuses on critical internal work that isn't always talked about, but that can truly optimize a business. We're thrilled to be learning about that today. So welcome, Ryan Campbell. This is great. So you have such a fascinating role that I believe so many companies have a need for, but it might not be an obvious one for folks. How do you define your role? So yeah, like you mentioned, I'm, I see myself as a professional technical business people person. I'm that intermediary in between. Um, what I see that is that a lot of times in a company, there's these gaps in the middle between the managers and the departments where nobody really owns that stuff. It's the stuff between teams and the handoffs and the cross-departmental and the company-wide stuff that nobody really owns. So I own that stuff. I'm kind of the intermediary that owns that. My, my CEO has referred to me as like the catalyst player or the cross, chief cross-functional problem solver. So I kind of sit in between all of the different teams and kind of facilitate operational excellence and cross-collaboration between the teams. So that's what I do. I'm director of business operations is my official role title. That's awesome. So um, seems like then a big part of what you're responsible for is how the company is ultimately connected um, and in a way that optimizes for performance, right? So how do you think about connections at work? So for me, my whole job is about connections and about collaboration and people doing to, doing things better together. Um, re- really, my focus is about collaboration. We live in a collaborative era. Um, much, of, much of what we do and how we do it affects other people in other departments, and it affects our customers. And so we have to be thinking about not just what is my world and how I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but what is how I do, what is what I'm doing and how does that affect everybody else around me? and to be cross-functional in that way. Um, One of the things that I actually do each quarter is a cross-functional intake interview where we gather up each of the members of the leadership team and we kind of talk about what are the biggest cross-functional problems that you can't solve yourself in your own team. And we have conversations about that. And it's really good to be getting people thinking about how to collaborate and how to handle these big cross-functional problems. So it's not just me trying to solve my own problems, but let's think across the aisle. Let's, let's work across the aisle. And we do these interviews before our quarterly planning so that we've got a couple of weeks to have conversations and figure out what goals we need to set where we work together to be able to solve those things. So it's very much a collaborative effort. And a lot of what I do is to kind of facilitate that environment of safety and of collaboration across the company. And one other thing that I'll add is really silos are the enemy of collaboration. Like if we really want to work together well as a team, then we can't have silos. And it's really easy to see like this team has a manager and they have their group and they have their own policies and they're kind of their own little silo. Um, But we have to make sure that we're thinking about how we engage with other people inside and outside of that team and not let those silos define our engagement, 
but think and work and collaborate beyond those silos as we work together as, as an organization holistically. Yeah, thanks for that. That's, that's really helpful. Um, personal interaction is obviously a key to connection, right? But arguably so is process. It seems to be less, less thought of perhaps initially when we hear about connection and think about connection at work. But what are your responsibilities around process and exactly how important is that in your opinion? That's a great question. And a lot of what I do is process architecture work. That's part of my role. Um, a big chunk of what I ended up doing in coming back to a company that's a smaller company like Alianza, when I got there, it was 70 people, um, started working pretty quickly on trying to figure out how to pull together and get some good processes to, to find. Um, simply put, I just consider a process as the way we do the work that we do. So everybody does work anyway. Some people follow their own personal processes. Some teams have processes, but regardless, we're going to do work. Let's just be intentional about the work that we do, and we'll, we'll call that a process. So when I was starting doing process architecture work at Alianza, I started with an end-to-end -end process map, which is like a three-page wide landscape version of like swim lanes for each individual organization, and it goes like from prospects all the way to growing revenue for our customers um, and, and everything in between. And there's like subsections where you can drill into areas and find like the product request process or the product planning process with development and, and basically drill in as you go. But having a good high level overview, a good end to end process map is great to be able to help people know how they need to work together and what things need to be done before they get to and what things they need to you know, hand off to somebody else, all those engagement processes. Um, a lot of what I do in terms of a process architect role is also helping people understand like the right words and concepts. Like what's the difference between a policy of like high level governance versus a process, which is like a high level visualization of what the process, uh, the, the work should be. And a low level procedure, which is like you do these steps in this order and making sure that we're targeting the right kind of document for the right kind of conversation. So when we find cross-functional problems, do we, do we need a policy about this? Do we need to document the process or do we just need, you know, some low-level procedural documentation about it? Um, so we do a lot of, I do a lot of process work that way. Um, and part of what I focus on is collaboration and alignment. I know that some people hear process and they think of like legal compliance or forced adherence. And in some cases there are that, but it's not something that we deal with. We're not a heavy regulated area like that. I know that like with HIPAA or financial institution, there's a lot more of that legal compliance or forced adherence to process. But we look at process as a collaborative tool, as an alignment tool, and not something to beat people over the head with if they you know, put us in financial or legal risk, that kind of thing. Um, it's really, there's a point here that's important to know, it's really hard to improve a process that's not documented. Everybody does their processes, their, their work, and they want to be better, but it's really hard to come together and figure out how to make those things better if we don't take the time to document them. I'm a big fan of the BPMN 2.0 business process model notation, where you just create processes with high level swim lanes. There's lots of documentation out there. We use Lucidchart, which is the, the tool that we use for our process documentation. Um, but the thing that's interesting is much of the value of process documentation is not the document itself, it's the journey of creating the document. It's the conversations, it's the alignment, it's the collaboration. The final document is just a receipt that we had lots of good alignment stuff happening. And the document itself can be a starting point for when we need to revisit things, you know, six months in the future with a 
a new leader or a new player who wants to get up to speed and know what we're doing. Or if we need to continue documenting and improving from there, we can have something as a starting point to keep going. But it's important to have processes documented. Take the time to at least get them at a high level, happy path. What do we do and how do we do it? And I'll add one last thing in terms of process. A key lesson learned is if you want people to buy into a process, you got to involve them in the creation of the document, documentation of the process. So make it a collaborative effort where they feel vested interest in it because they had a say. They, they were heard. They, they were part of the creation process. They'll be much more bought into the process if they're a part of that, as opposed to a few small people in a small group come up with the process and then try and tell everybody else they're going to do it. It just doesn't work as well. So be collaborative. Connect with people as part of building the process, and you'll get much better buy-in. Strong point. Um, with that, though, just as a quick aside, I feel like in my experience, people react differently to even the word process, right? Like it's a very, you know, it brings up different things for different people. And I think you accomplish a lot by what you said, you know, having people enrolled in that process. But I'm, I'm sure even at Alianza that with the work that you've done, some people respond better to it than others. Are there some other ahas there around how you get people on board or just the fact that we are all wired a little bit differently or are we actually the same around this? Do we all want the same thing? Like what's the almost psychological, you know, aspect of this? It's an interesting question. It Everybody responds to the concept of a process differently. Some people have been beaten with legal compliance process work from somebody in a finance or compliance role and they hate the concept of process. I've met those people. I've, I've had some of that experience myself. Um, some people don't understand what processes are really all about and they view them as way too complex. And sometimes they are and they shouldn't be, but sometimes they, they have a, had experience with that. Um, a lot of times when we're working on process, I won't even talk about the process at all. I'll just ask a lot of questions because really processes just should be the answers to a lot of collaborative questions and asking people what they do and how they do it. And so I just take a, a more of an interview approach and just ask people, so, so what do you do in this situation? How, how do you do the work that you do? And I'm genuinely, sincerely interested in understanding the way they work. And I just document it along the way. And then we talk about it and I ask questions about, well, you know, do you, do you realize this might be problematic here or, you know, we, why do we do this this way and like, you know, have conversations to try and see if there's improvements along the way. And often we'll have conversations to do those process documentation exercises with multiple people. And it's helpful for people across the aisle to see and hear and know how other aspects are happening so that they can see and understand each other. So a lot of good process documentation is just asking the right questions and facilitating good conversation and collaboration. Yeah, I think uh, a common misconception with process for folks who might not be so, uh, be, be as deep in it as you are, right? Is that, oh, this is something that is imposed on me and somebody's telling me how to do it as opposed to, no, here's somebody who is coming in, understanding how I actually do what I do and then helping me optimize that and then helping me document that so that it can be more repeatable and more efficient. That's, that's, yep. that's a really good insight there, right? Yep, it's all in the approach. Ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. And it definitely applies here. There you go. All right. So in, in optimizing basically then how work is done and how people collaborate, 
how are you seeing the use of channels evolving? What are the main challenges around channels for working together internally right now? We live in a very interesting world. There are a lot of channels out there for how we communicate. Um, but at its core, we need to interact with in, in person as humans. Um, it's really been hard with this COVID-19 situation that we're in the middle of where you really have much limited, much more limited engagement with people. You're having a lot more Zoom meetings, at least I am, spend maybe half the day on Zoom meetings for different reasons with different people. Um, but there's this aspect of human interaction that's the most important channel. And I would say of all the channels, we need to make sure that we prioritize having the right time to interact with humans. However, there's also a need to get up to speed quickly without having to hold yet another meeting because people get sick of meetings. Not that they get sick of people, some people do, the introverts of the world. Um, but we've got to figure out ways to be able to balance getting the right information out to people and doing so quickly. So don't hold a meeting where a well-crafted status update would suffice. Uh, it's a good rule of thumb that I live by. So it's important to have a balance between the interaction that people have personally and the channels that we use to be able to, to share information. Yeah, so on that note, you know, we obviously think a lot about screens. Um, we think about big public screens and, and other screens as well, but what role do, do these bigger screens now play in helping connect the company? So your question, it, it's the reason that we came to Screen Cloud in the first place. So th there's this balance between human interaction and just getting information out quickly. Screen Cloud has actually been really helpful to automate the information for quick glance consumption. So we boiled it down to three key content areas that we put on our screens that we use Screen Cloud for, and we call them an information radiator. So we have like the KPIs for the team and a status update with where they're at on their, their biggest projects that we're you know, interested about. And then celebrating some successes, like what, what did we do recently that we can show? And these sit on these information radiators in the areas or in the neighborhoods, we call them, for each team, so that they can kind of see them and use them as functional reference for how they're doing and what's going on. And also for anybody walking by to see at a glance what's going on, what they're working on, wh where we're at with those things. And that's great without having to have meetings about it or additional channels. It's just kind of radiant information that's available on the side. Um, it, it's really easy, let me just back up a sec, it's really easy to oversaturate people with too many communication channels, like your meetings and your emails and your Slack and your in-application messages, like there's so many different ways that humans try and interact through technology, through these different channels and phone, obviously. Um, and it's important that we do the hard work of simplification, as Steve Jobs says, and in this case, that means streamlining communication channels as much as possible. One of the things that I really like about Screen Cloud is we can automate the information that shows up there and it's just an always on, always present information source where people can find the information they need. They don't have to go look for or try and manage yet another channel. It's just radiant information available at their fingertips. And that's really handy, it's really helpful. Yeah, um, you, have, you have such a unique and interesting perspective on all this. I'm, I'm curious, how did you, how did you get to where you are, right? Like, how did you, how, how do you even think companies should think about this kind of work and the kind of role that you have? It's a good question. So some historical background on me. So I started back in 2000, 2002 at a company called In Contact and was there for about 15 years and went from like call center agent through account manager and operations and billing stuff and sales engineer and implementation engineer and project manager and business analyst. And then finally was the knowledge manager got more collaborative as the years went on with different roles. And 
So I grew from a company of like 60 people at InContact up to 1,500 being acquired by a company that was a total of 5,000. We were making some big transitions into big company state. And when I got approached by Alianza about three years ago, it was 70 people. It was like rebooting my career way back in the, into the past 15 years ago and build a new company from the ground up, but as part of the leadership team, like helping to build it now better now that I've kind of seen how this transition happens. So I started as the knowledge manager here at Alianza and then quickly jumped into more of a director of business operations or, or a uh, process architect of sorts and just did a lot more of this collaborative work. Um, it's a lot of the collaborative work I did in the role right before I was the knowledge manager at Alianza. So really the question to consider here for leaders in the kind of role that I do is, who do you have at your company that's dedicated to process improvement? Or do you just expect your managers to do it along with everything else they're responsible for? And if so, how, how does that work for you? Because I would say in my experience, most people say, yeah, some people are pretty awesome at it, but mo most managers don't necessarily have the time to you know, work on improving their processes because they're too busy managing their team and doing the work that needs to get done. So in my role, I've kind of established, a, a, it's a unique precedent. It's not a position that I hear a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I know somebody that does that. It's kind of a unique experiment that we're doing at Alianza where I get to just be in this cross-functional, cross-collaborative role where I actually have time and the availability and the resources to be able to functionally work on and focus on these processes when the managers don't have as much time to do it. Or maybe they just don't have the experience. They've never done process documentation in, in BPMN or they've never worked cross collaboratively in multiple teams where they have to do project management related work. And I do a lot of that too. So it's helpful to have like an, an internal PMO, some companies call it, or an internal organization that works on operations of the company or what, what we refer to as internal business operations. And so that's where I function. Yeah. I mean, it's tempting to believe or to assume that, well, if you hire really great, a great leadership team, right. And great managers, then, you know, that that's just going to solve itself. But the reality is if you're not approaching it consciously and with intention to say, hey, this is something we continuously have to improve in order to actually do really great work, then it'll get tricky at some point, right? And maybe even more so when a global pandemic hits. On that point, I'll say um, it, it's not feasible to expect that everybody is going to be a unicorn. Some people are unicorns and they just naturally gifted in doing the kind of work that we need them to do. But in my experience, I've found that somebody who's really good at something, who gets promoted to be a manager over those somethings, um, is not necessarily going to be great at process documentation or project management or business analysis or strategy definition or any of those kinds of things that you need to either have gone to business school for or you need to be naturally talented at or have like somebody in your network that can help you or a mentor that's going to spend time with you. But often those things don't happen. And so managers struggle trying to manage their team and do these other things, but maybe just not as well. So having somebody in a role like where I'm at, I can just spend time with managers mentoring and training and helping them define strategy or helping them organize themselves in, in terms of project management. So it's just helpful to have somebody that can spend the time to do that kind of work. Yeah, it's fascinating because as a marketing leader, I know some of the strengths that I bring to the table, but I'll tell you, process documentation and project management these aren't my main strengths right so the fact that i need to be working on that um isn't something 
isn't a problem because I don't want to do it. It just means that I have to put extra energy to even try to get half as good at that as you are, as opposed to just doubling down on my strengths, right? Which is what yep. I think you would want if you are a CEO thinking about your leadership team. You hired those people for a reason and you are excited about their strengths and you want to make sure that they get to focus on those. Um, so it seems to make so much sense. Do you see it progressing in a positive direction here? Or where are we? What's kind of the state of the union on whether companies are embracing people like yourself and, and that role? I, I'd love to see it happening in, in more widespread adoption and embracing of this kind of function and role. But I see it as a unique experiment that we're doing that I see it works really well. And from all the conversations and feedback I've gotten from our leadership team, it's, it's highly useful and highly appreciated. Um, the big question I think it's going to come down to for most leaders is, can they justify being able to hire somebody to be in this kind of role? Is it, is it worth the, the investment? And B, can you find somebody that has the right mix of skills that they're just uniquely good at this leadership development, business operations type stuff? Because it is a mix of lots of different things. I happen to come with a unique skill set because I've gone through and grown through so much of an organization. I understand how a lot of the processes work because I lived through them. Um, so it's, it's also a little um, unique to find somebody who's got my skill set that can do this kind of work. So maybe that's another reason why not a lot of companies have this kind of role for what it's worth. So I know your focus on process fascinates a lot of people on our team. Um, and I'm curious what advice you might give younger professionals who are exploring this kind of role because it is fairly unique and I'm not sure people are able to, you know, see that and say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be that. I'm going to do that. It might be a little bit more random how people, people end up there. So what's, what's some advice you'd give people who are curious around this? Sure. Um, for me, I, I started at the bottom. So I was a frontline call center rep, just doing tech support and answering questions about billing and just the standard stuff. And I just worked my way up from there. Um, my advice that I've given in the past on this is don't, don't try and climb the ladder too fast. Take the time to be excellent at each step along the way. You want to make sure that you're excellent at the call center job. You're excellent at account management. You're excellent at whatever it is along the way. If you really want to be an operations person, you have to understand all the different aspects of how the operations work. Get exposure to those things and be good enough that you can lead out well and, and consult with people and ask questions that are knowing in those areas. Um, so it's good to be able to get exposure to lots of different things. I had the opportunity within Contact to grow from a company of you know, 70 to 1,500 over the course of 15 years. And over those 15 years, I actually had more positions or more titles than I had years of experience. Like I jumped around a lot. So getting exposure to a lot of different things, like taking on new opportunities internally with different departments helped me to just get a lot of experience in a lot of areas. Um, but one other thing that I'd say along this, way, this lines is it's important to ask questions, to really seek to understand the processes that you deal with, that you're on the teams for wherever you're at, like, and to think about how you can improve those things just in your area of where you're at today. Um, I had one of my mentors that said something that was very impactful for me way back in the day, that frontline employees work in the process. They just know the rules and they work within it. And managers are the ones that work on the process, trying to figure out how we should be working. So the difference between the leaders in an organization is those people that are not just 
content to live within the process, but those that are thinking critically about how do we improve the process? How do we make this better? And that's a lot of what I did throughout my career is ask a lot of questions and make proposals and try and make things better along the way. It's a continuous improvements focus that I've just had from a long time and, and having that helps a lot. Um, and I'd say one more thing that was really helpful is just having a focus on operational management using data. I'm very much a data driven guy. So trying to figure out like, what are the key performance areas that you need to focus on and how do you measure those successes and to see if you're actually going to be successful and find ways to review and use those measures in regular team meetings. Um, if you have a process and it's measurable, you ought to use those measures and have conversations about them. It's really bad faux pas to ask people to do things and measure them on it, but then never look at those measures and never care and never respond to them about it because people will inevitably do this experiment either intentionally or unintentionally where they stop doing it because they're busy or they forget or they get distracted or you name it. And if nobody notices, nobody catches it, if nobody cares, then that means that it's not important anymore and they're not gonna do it. And a lot of processes fail just because leaders don't take the time to keep a pulse on things. They don't look at the operational reporting. They don't bring up those metrics and that data in regular team meetings to review how things are going doesn't have to take a lot of time spend the first like five minutes just look through the reports and hopefully everything's like yeah looks good but if you ever pull something up and you see some weird trend where things are going down or things are getting complicated or you've got some big spike you ought to have a conversation about those things that's what operational management is all about is using data to make sure that we're improving consistently and taking the processes and the measures that we have and making them better over time by using those metrics so that's that's my two cents on it Two very valuable cents. Thank you for that, Ryan. Hey, we're um, we're huge fans of how you guys have approached using ScreenCloud at Alianza. Can you tell us just a little bit more about how that's evolved for you guys and how you're thinking about the future with respect to screens, ScreenCloud, and information radiators, really? Yep. Um, that's really the whole reason we came to ScreenCloud in the first place. Um, so we did a lot to prepare for having information radiators back in Q1 of this year is when we officially launched them in our brand new building. Um, we have 25 screens around these neighborhoods within the office. We've got this new building and we have a whole bunch of neighborhoods and these screens, we call them wallboard TVs, that sit on the edge of these neighborhoods. Some neighborhoods have like a screen on either side, depending on how big the neighborhood is. And the idea was we wanted to have these information radiators. We didn't coin the term, it's out there in the industry if you look, but it's these things that you don't have to go dig in to find the information, it's just radiates and it's available. It's just, all you gotta do is look and it's sitting there on a wall and you can see the information you need. And try and keep it really targeted and focused. I already mentioned a little bit before, but the three things we have on there are KPIs. So for like our development organization, that's like the number of bugs that they've been handling, whether they're pre-production or production bugs found by customers. Um, and like things like their velocity or their, um, their you know, sprint commentary on how things went for the sprint, like how, how much uh, story points do they deliver, lots of those kinds of things. Um, in other organizations, we have like marketing metrics or onboarding metrics for you know, new customers that are coming on. So what, whatever is relevant for that team, we want to boil it down to just what those metrics are, kind of like I was talking about with operational management, and make sure that those, those metrics are visible. So you don't even have to be in a team meeting to be able to see where our metrics are at and where we're at. Any team member at any point can just look up 
and see at a glance and notice where we're at in certain areas. And it's really helpful to just keep the right focus, the right metrics top of mind, which means you got to do a lot of hard work to figure out the right metrics and have them up there so they drive the right behaviors. But that's the one big thing. So we have our KPIs. Beyond that, we also have, um, trying to remember what the other thing was here, the status updates. So we have a big, um, big spreadsheet where we have each of the teams and their individual status updates, at least with product and development. And we've got a filter that basically says, this is the stuff for the Vandalay team. And they only have to update it in one place, but we take that small snippet and we put it up on the screen. So any member of the team can see what the status is that we're communicating out in our product delivery meetings and be able to see where we're at. So KPIs, status updates, and then celebrating successes. It's really important to make sure that we celebrate when we win. Like let's call out and make sure that we not just focusing on continuing improvement all the time, but celebrate sometimes, pat people on the back and like celebrate the fact that we did some big new launch or that we closed some big deal or whatever the case may be. So that's actually number three is making sure that we make time to celebrate successes and show them up there, make them public. Um, it's, it's really easy to oversaturate people with too many communication channels. And it's really important to do that hard work of, of simplification. And we find that putting these information radiators is a great way to do that. Let's simplify a lot of content from a lot of channels into a place that's just simple. And we use ScreenCloud as the, as the mechanism to do that. Um, we, we had looked at a few different areas of doing this in the past with like Chrome bits on a TV and you have to like log in and manage it. But the, the cloud hosted capabilities that ScreenCloud provides makes it a whole lot easier. So we just have a whole bunch of Amazon Fire Stick 4Ks behind our TVs and we just got it so that it automatically boots up into ScreenCloud and we just have these information radiators running perpetually. And for the 25 TVs that we've got, it's really good to be able to have the targeted information radiators that you need in the area that you need them. Um, one of the things that's a little bit hard is, well, nobody's actually in the office, which kind of causes a problem. We've got it like 90% of the employees are now working from home, so it hasn't been as effective. Um, but we're working with the product team on, at, at ScreenCloud to get some embedded channels that will allow us to embed these information radiator dashboards into Confluence pages. So you can actually just go over to the Vandalay page in Confluence and see the information radiator, just like you would do by physically walking over to the neighborhood and seeing that wallboard TV. So that's a great thing that I'm very, very grateful for ScreenCloud for kind of working with us through this weird pandemic and finding ways to be able to make this stuff still work and functional. So that's good. Um, I, I want to touch on really quick, the vision from the beginning has always been to use ScreenCloud as information radiators, to publicly radiate the most important information that people can see and consume at a glance by just walking by. And there's three primary purposes for why we decided to install the information radiators in the first place. One, improve transparency, visibility, and context across all the Allianza teams. We wanted to re be really intentional about that culture that we wanted to drive cross-functionally. Number two, improve our culture of ownership and accountability. We wanted people to own what they were working on in such a way that they could publicly display it and be accountable for that because it's, it's on public display. And then number three is to drive a sense of urgency across the company. Let's make sure that we not just own these things, but that we're urgent about making sure we get these things done, these big goals, these key metrics that we need to be able to hit. And so far it's been helpful for us to be able to actually see those kind of um, engagements or that kind of uh, information being seen and displayed so that we can have those conversations and we can drive that kind of, drive those kind of behaviors across the teams. 
So yeah, that's that's what we use ScreenCloud for. We love it. There's great things that it's doing for us. And hopefully it'll be uh, more visible as we get people back into the office after this COVID thing's over. Mm. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. I had a couple of quick questions there. Um, really interesting words you're choosing for some of this stuff. You mentioned neighborhoods a couple of times. Is that a intentional way to talk about certain parts of the office to maybe facilitate further connection? Like, I don't want to assume too much, but can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it's relatively simple enough. Like if you look at the floor plan of our building, we have, you know, glass windows all the way around. We have a, a, a set of offices like the, the main front desk and the elevators and some bathrooms and stuff in the core interior. And then there's this walkway that goes around the entire perimeter between the outside edge and the inside building. So we've got this, you know, walkway that goes around the middle. So on the outside edge next to the windows, we have these divider walls and it's like a 10 foot um, solid steel framed wall that has a whiteboard on the top and, a, um, and like glass on the top and the bottom. So it's a physical divide, but it's an interactive divide. And that's where we have the wallboard TVs as well. You can walk around them either way. They're not actual physical, um, they're not, they are partially physically separating the neighborhoods. And then between those walls, we have different teams that will sit together. Like we have the Vandalay team or the sweetness team or the data team and uh, the, you know, customer project management or customer success. And they all have their little team areas and we just call them neighborhoods. And it's just between these physical segments where we've uh, established these areas. We call them neighborhoods. Well, words matter. Um, it's true. So, <laughs> Is the Vandalay team inspired by Seinfeld by any chance? Absolutely. Oh, that is brilliant. I don't know where the Sweetness team came from. That's another one. We have a whole bunch of fun and weird names, but yeah, Vandalay. And yes, they did have the little, you know, poles with the, that they use for Christmas. I forget what they're called, but yeah, a lot of uh, fun Seinfeld culture on the Vandalay team. The Festivus pole? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Festivus, you know, a holiday for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's coming I still up. see a few Vandalay poles around the Festivus <laughs> poles. Um, that's that's awesome. You know, I actually, I I believe that stuff matters. You know, I do think that that actually really does matter. Um, out of curiosity, what what's the makeup of the Vandalay team? What kind of roles? Um, they focus on the, the the voice provisioning and integration work. So if we need to be able to get certain devices, certain phones to be able to interact with our platform in a certain way or integrate or interact with other people like OSS, BSS providers like billing partners or um, new partners we have for new launches that are coming out at the beginning of the year with new products, like those integrations between those teams, that's what the Vandalay team works on is all those, those voice provisioning and integration projects. One other thing that I've heard you talk about, Ryan, is this idea of B team, A team, I think. Can you, oh, yeah. can you tell me about that? Because that's important. Yeah, um, this is something I've learned recently and I've loved the concept. Everybody is really familiar with the concept of their team as an A team. Like the tech support team has a manager and the people that are doing tech support are team A, it's their A team. But Moy, who is our leader, our manager over tech support, is also a member of a team 
with his peers. So the customer project management, the customer success, and me, and the development and product, and all these leaders across the company, we form a team. It's referred to as a B team. And it's important to make sure that A teams are functional and successful. And most people do that well, but not a lot of people think about or spend time working towards their B team collaborative development. So a lot of the work that we do is B team coordination work. Um, one good example of this is we have a leadership team stand up every Wednesday morning at 9.30 a.m. where we just get all of that B team, the leadership layer across the company, and we just meet together and there is no agenda. We just kind of talk about whatever things we need to talk about. We bring up any agenda items that somebody may want to bring or discuss, but most of it's just kind of freeform questions and a chance to be able to get to know and talk to the other members of our leadership team. It's a lot of great, it's a great opportunity for people to have this collaborative time together to be able to focus on their B team, not just their A team. Uh, that's great. So insightful. Well, thank you. Um, Ryan, we appreciate not only the Alianza team as, as a great customer, but really your insights and your time and everything that you've shared today. Uh, thank you so, so much. I'm passionate about this stuff. Glad you let me talk about it. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I think a lot of people will enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. It's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life. If so, an honest review would certainly be welcomed. Reboot for Connection is brought to you by ScreenCloud. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.